0: as we open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 51. If we take a look at a new message in our series, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit, think about the life of D.L. Moody, who was without a doubt the greatest American evangelist of the 19th century, and yet he was an unlikely candidate for such an honor. His father died when he was only four years old. His mother, faced with the rearing of nine children, sent Dwight off, to work for his room and board while he was just a boy. At 17 years old, Moody went to Boston to work for his uncle in a shoe store, and his uncle insisted as a part of his apprenticeship uh, that he go to church every Sunday. And so it was at the Congregational Church of Mount Vernon that Moody met his Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. And Kimball's initial impression of Dwight Moody was like this. He said, I have seldom met an applicant for membership to the church more unlikely ever to become a Christian than Dwight Moody. He said, still less did I expect him to fill any extended sphere of public influence. Basically, he was saying, this guy was a long way from the Lord and I didn't ever expect him to get there. Another spoke of one of the first revival services that Moody ever conducted. It was conducted in an old shanty, and Moody was trying to read the story of the prodigal son. There were a great many words that he could not spell, he could not read, he could not pronounce. And his hearer thought at that moment, if the Lord can ever use such an instrument as that for His honor and glory, it will astonish me. And yet God did use Dwight Moody for His honor and glory. He was one of the best known evangelists of the Civil War, And by his life's end, he had preached all over America from sea to shining sea. He established what is today Moody Church in Chicago and the Moody Bible Institute, both institutions which continue to have excellent evangelical reputations. He held summer Bible conferences in his native Northfield, Massachusetts and established two schools there. He greatly influenced the cause of world missions because of his profound influence on Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission. England was a country that Moody visited often and for long periods of time. He preached revivals there for months at a time from 1872 onward. Even the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, invited Moody to preach in his pulpit and promoted him throughout the United Kingdom. But not all British preachers felt that way about Moody. As Moody had been scheduled to preach some revival services in their area, an elderly British pastor protested and said, Why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated. He's inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? A younger, wiser pastor then rose in that meeting and responded by saying, No, he doesn't think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on the life of Dwight Moody. Dear friend, that's what we should be about. That's what we are going to talk about today. The Holy Spirit having a monopoly upon our lives. Remember our definition of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of Jesus fulfilling God's purpose of redemption in and through His people, the church. God's Spirit is here this morning. God's Spirit wants to fulfill His purpose, the purpose of God, in redeeming us and in using us to help redeem others. Last Sunday, as we continued our series, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit, I talked about the baptism in the Spirit. I told you that we often hear Pentecostals and Charismatics speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an experience subsequent to salvation and always evidenced by speaking in tongues. But I believe they're confusing the baptism in the Spirit with the filling of the Spirit. You see, there seems to be two different experiences of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. First, there's the baptism in the Spirit... We see then in the book of John where Jesus breathed on His disciples and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 describes it this way, For we were all baptized in one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. We learned last Sunday that the baptism in the Spirit accompanies our salvation and that it's a once-for-all kind of thing. But then there's a second experience with the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures, and that is the filling of the Spirit, such as the early church experienced on the day of Pentecost. That experience is subsequent to our salvation and hopefully will take place many times during our Christian lifetimes for one simple reason. You see, our theme for this morning is this. Due to our being leaky vessels, we must constantly be kept under the tap of the Holy Spirit. Due to our being leaky vessels, we must be constantly kept under the tap Of the Holy Spirit. We must constantly be being refilled with God's Spirit because we're leaky vessels. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. This morning, I want to share with you four concepts related to the filling of the Spirit. Number one, the only way to be filled with God's Spirit is to empty yourself of you. The only way to be filled with God's Spirit is to empty yourself of you. That's the great and broad principle when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, and you know what the world is, don't you? The world is humanity and hostile rebellion against God. Not speaking of just the physical world, but the spiritual world. Outside of God is humanity in hostile rebellion against God. He says, if we are full of pride and conceit, ambition and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. We must be emptied before we can be filled. Psalm 51 was written by King David. Shortly after he had committed that doubly depraved deed of adultery with Bathsheba and the military murder of her husband Uriah, In sinning, David was like all of us. But in his repentance, David was a man after God's own heart. Listen to his pleading words as he pours out his heart to God and asks God to create in him a new heart. Beginning with verse 1 of Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Then going to verse 10... Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And finally, verse 17 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It is those words I want us to focus on. The words of verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That is in the essence of emptying ourselves. We must empty ourselves of ourselves if we want to be filled with God's Spirit. And there in that moment, David completely emptied himself before God, a broken heart, he speaks of there, a contrite heart. And that's what we mean when we talk about emptying ourselves. Like David, if we would be filled with God's Spirit, we must first empty ourselves. We must pray along with Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, "'Search me, O God, and know my heart.'" Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that leads to everlasting life. So we must first empty ourselves if we would be filled with the Spirit of God. Then, secondly, the second concept related to the filling of the Holy Spirit is that like a tire with a hole in it, sin causes God's Spirit to leak out of our lives. Like a tire with a hole in it, sin causes God's Spirit to leak out of our lives. Of course, God's Spirit never completely leaves the life of a true believer. But it can get so low that your spiritual life is flat. Are you with me? God's Spirit never totally leaves the life of a believer. But God's Spirit can be so crowded out of our lives that our spiritual lives go flat. It's important for us to understand we must deal with sin if we want to be filled with God's Spirit. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. First John chapter 1 verses 8 through 10, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Notice the slight difference between verses eight and ten. It seems like they are saying the same thing, but they're not. In verse 10, there's a subtle and important difference in the Greek grammar. It says, if we claim we have never sinned, we make God out to be a liar and His word is not in us. How or why do we make God out to be a liar? Because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God, the perfect standard of God. And so verse 10 is referring to those who are so deluded that they would say that they have never sinned a day in their lives. You ever met anybody like that? There's some folks out there like that. Most people don't have that much pride, but there are some people out there that are so arrogant and egotistical, they would say that they have never sinned. Before I came to Christ, I never I figured I did any serious sinning. I was 15 years old, hadn't murdered anybody, robbed any banks, anything like that. So I figured I hadn't done any serious sinning. And therefore, I was almost perfect, I thought. But I was far from it. And dear friend, there are still people out there who believe, even when they've grown up and they get to be old age, they believe that they've never really sinned. And they've really never done anything for which they need to be forgiven. The truth is, as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 8 is different, of course. It says, if we claim that we are not presently sinning, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This verse refers to those who believe that they have reached a state of sinless perfection and that they never sin anymore. And I always have a good time with those kinds of people. I always ask them, they start talking to me about the fact they've never sinned or don't sin anymore at all and... They reached that state X number of years ago. They they can remember the day they stopped sinning and, in this world. And I, I always have a good time with those kinds of people. I, I ask them, when was the last time you sinned? And they'll give me some date in the past and I'll say, no, that, that's not true, you just lied to me. You've sinned again. You just broke your own record. And the truth is that we all struggle with sin. that's why John condemns both those attitudes in verse 8 and in verse 10, and he gives us verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the great problems of American Christianity in our day is that in order to be popular, churches have almost stopped preaching against sin altogether. Churches that do seek to be faithful and confront sin are called intolerant and judgmental. And yet if we choose not to confront sin for the sake of popularity, then we can neither walk in the light as He is in the light, nor can we be filled with God's Spirit. We have to confess that we're flawed people. Though we're saved people, we're still, we've still got our problems, do one. We? Though we're saved people, none of us lives a perfect life. The answer our sin problem is is not to pretend that it doesn't exist, but it's to confess and forsake our sin. We must all confess that we are like that tire with a hole in it and that, of course, it causes God's Spirit to leak out of our lives. But fortunately, if we will allow God to patch that hole through the confession of our sin and the forsaking of our sin, then the divine pump is always available to fill us up again with God's Spirit. That leads me to number three. Because we all struggle with sin, we must regularly be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Because we all struggle with sin, we must regularly be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be being filled with the Spirit. The Greek word there for being filled or uh, be filled with the Spirit is a continuous present tense verb. It means in an ongoing way. Not just once for all time, but in an ongoing way. You are to be filled with God's Spirit day by day, by day. Because sin is a reality in our lives and will cause the Spirit of God to leak out of our lives, we must be refilled with the Holy Spirit each and every day of our lives. Then the last concept related to the filling of the Holy Spirit is fourfold. First of all, this the Spirit filled life is characterized by making the most of opportunities to build God's kingdom. The Spirit filled life is characterized by making the most of opportunities to build God's kingdom. Now, we saw over and over again as we looked at the baptism in the Holy Spirit last Sunday morning that all the extraordinary outpourings of God's Spirit in Scripture are tied to the early church sharing its faith. God fills us with His Spirit so that we might, in the words of Paul, magnify Christ. Now, look at that in light of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, "...be very careful then how you live." not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We're still living in an evil age. Until God's kingdom comes on earth, we will live in an age that is permeated by evil. And I don't think I have to tell you that. All you've got to do is pick up a newspaper, turn on the news, and you'll find that we're living in a day and age where there's so many bad things that are happening. Yet one day God promises that we'll go and be with Him forevermore. And that in His kingdom evil will not rule. Making the most of our opportunities to build up the kingdom of God is a characteristic of the Spirit-filled life. And that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 He said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. How do we build up the kingdom of God? By making the most of every opportunity to share our faith with others, so that they might come into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God be grown. Charles Finney was an aspiring lawyer, turned preacher. Doesn't always work, Bill, but sometimes it does. Worked pretty good in his case. An aspiring lawyer turned preacher. Was one of the leaders of the second great awakening in America. He's been called the father of modern revivalism. He wrote of how God had given him mighty infillings of his spirit over and over and over again. And as he looked at that that concept, as he studied that concept, he said these words. He said that these infillings went through me as it seemed body and soul. I immediately found myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals were the means of their immediate conversion. My words seemed to fasten like barbed arrows in the souls of men. They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Multitudes can attest to this. Sometimes I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. I would go and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray with the same results. I would then set apart a day for private fasting and prayer. And after humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return upon me with all of its freshness. This has been the experience of my life. I love the way he he uses this concept of having a saving impression. That everywhere he went... He wanted to have a saving impression in the lives of others. He wanted to have a redemptive impact in the lives of others. He wanted people to know that he knew Jesus. I've I've always loved the description, I think it was, of D.L. Moody. And they said that when he walked into the barber shop, the whole mood changed. Because he was filled with the Spirit of God and all those around him knew it. Because he was a man of God and those around him knew it. See, Charles Finney was making the most of every opportunity to share Jesus. And my question is, are you? Are you making the most of every opportunity to share Jesus? Then secondly, the Spirit-filled life is characterized by displaying a good understanding of God's will in our daily lives. Displaying a good understanding of God's will in our daily lives. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. One of the hallmarks of people who are truly spirit-filled is that they won't make all the foolish mistakes of those who are either unbelievers or those who are carnal Christians. Now, notice what I said. They won't make all the foolish mistakes. I'm not saying they won't make any foolish mistakes, okay? We all make a foolish mistake from time to time. But they won't make all the foolish mistakes of those who don't know the Lord or those who are living away from the Lord. Foolish mistakes like... Poor financial decisions or bad job choices or getting into a never-going-to-make-it marriage. We've all known folks like that. Why don't spirit-filled believers make lots of those mistakes? Because they possess godly wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And that's where you get godly wisdom. From a healthy reverence for God and a consistent application of His Word in your life. That keeps us from making foolish mistakes. Ultimately, godly wisdom helps us understand what should be our passion in life. General William Booth of the Salvation Army, of course, was founder of that organization, had a deep love for God when near the end of his life, he was asked what the secret of his success was. And William Booth responded, I will tell you the secret, God has had all of me there was. There have been men of greater brains than I and men with greater opportunities than I. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision for all of all that Jesus Christ could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Here's a great testimony of someone who is filled with God's Spirit because he emptied himself of self And He gave Himself entirely to Jesus Christ. And thirdly, the Spirit-filled life is characterized by radiating the joy of Jesus from our hearts through song. Radiating the joy of Jesus from our hearts through song. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 says, Be filled with God's Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. In John chapter 15, Jesus shares another one of His great I Am statements with us. He tells us that He is the vine and we are the branches and that we must live in union with Him if we're going to live out the life that God has called us to live, that full and abundant life that God has called us to live. To remain in Christ, of course, is another way of saying to be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus gives us the result of that in John chapter 15 verse 11, which says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know what the psalmist says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. He not, does not say, make a, a pretty noise unto the Lord. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Recently, Suzanne and I got on the phone and sang Happy Anniversary to my brother Gordon and his wife of 40 years, Brenda. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a jailhouse singer. I'm always behind a few bars looking for the key. Uh, but I decided that I would make a big finish on that song by adding some of my own homemade harmony. And uh, I probably shouldn't have done it. You, you know the, the the kind of music that makes the dog howl that kind of stuff. Well, I finished in a big harmony with that song, and Suzanne was kind of looking at me strangely, but that didn't bother me. My brother just very kindly said, "You know, you don't need to quit your day job, you know that, don't you? You're not going to be asked to sing for a career. Notice that God doesn't judge us on our ability to sing, but on our willingness to sing. Let that sink in. God does not judge us on our ability to sing, but on our willingness to sing. Do you have a song in your heart? That's what God is looking for. And when we're filled with His Spirit, then we have a song in our hearts. Lastly this morning, Spirit-filled life is characterized by giving thanks to God always, even in the midst of life's hardships. Spirit-filled life is characterized by giving thanks to God always, even in the midst of life's hardships. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Be filled with the Spirit, always giving thanks to God the Father in everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That verse is a mirror image of the great verse in 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 5, verse 18, which says, In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The will of God for you in Christ Jesus is to give thanks in all things. That's what God's will is. Why would we, how can we give thanks in all things? in things that happen in our lives that are very difficult or sometimes even tragic, how do we give thanks in those situations? Dear friend, the only way you'll ever be able to give thanks in those situations is if you believe that God is in control. God is sovereign in your life and that He's going to work out all things together for your good. Because if you don't believe that, then you're just torturing yourself to give thanks. We give thanks because we know there's a God who controls all things. We give thanks for all things because we know there's a God who can take all things and turn them around and work them to our good. And that's why we should give thanks in all things. In the autobiography of Clarence McCartney, he includes the story of two men who were walking through a field one day when they spotted a raging bull. Instantly, they darted toward the nearest fence. The storming bull followed and... Hot pursuit, and it was soon apparent that they would never be able to outrun it. Terrified, one of them shouted to the other, Put up a prayer, John, we're in for it. John answered, I can't, I've never made a public prayer in my life. The friend said, But you must, the bull is catching up with us. All right, John said, "I'll, I'll say a prayer for you. I'll say the prayer that my father used to say before we ate supper every night. And he took his hands and he bowed his head and he said, Dear Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. (laughs) That fictitious story teaches us an important lesson. No matter how severe our trials, we should be thankful in everything. We should understand that God is a sovereign God. That He has control not only of the universe, but of our own personal lives. And that because of that, He has promised that He will work all things together for our good. That's a... It's a beautiful illustration, by the way. the The word uh, that that Paul uses for God works all things together is the word from which we get the English word "synergize." God is going to synergize; He's just going to work all things together for our good. I I heard the illustration years ago of the idea of baking a cake, and you know, I I had a little bit for my for my brother-in-law Randy, Suzanne's brother's sixty-fifth birthday. We went to Birmingham to celebrate that with him over the weekend, and. And there was a delicious coconut cake there. And uh, the end results of a coconut cake are fantastic. But if you took the ingredients of that coconut cake and you ate them one at a time, the flour, the egg or two or three, the sugar, even that much sugar by itself isn't good. You take the elements of that cake by themselves, they're not any good. But you get somebody who knows what they're doing with those ingredients. And puts them together in the right amounts and in the right way and bakes that cake to the right temperature and the right time. And you've got a delicious, wonderful cake. Sometimes we look at our lives like the various ingredients of a cake and we don't see how in the world the things that are happening to us can be any good. But God has promised He will take those ingredients those things in our lives that are happening that we look at separately he's promised that he will take those and work them together for our good sometimes we won't taste the cake till we get to eternity will we and so right now what we got to do is trust him right now we got to trust god and part of trusting god is thanking god isn't it by faith we thank him what He's done in our lives. It's morning. Are you weary of a life that has no purpose or power? Life can be different, you know. You can experience the life-changing filling of God's Spirit. All you need to do is empty yourself of yourself. All you need to do is confess and forsake your sin and be done with it and say, Dear God, I'm, I'm tired of living that life. I want Your life. I want Your Spirit to live in me. And I want to live the life that God has called me to live. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me this morning. And as we're thinking about uh, the Spirit-filled life, the important thing for us to remember, of course, is there's a, a route to get to that life. And that route begins with opening your heart to Jesus Christ. And if you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, I give you the opportunity this morning if you need Christ in your life and you've never made that commitment, never made that decision, then this morning I would give you that opportunity. It's as simple as praying a prayer that goes something like, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't make it to heaven on my own. So I open my heart to you today and ask Christ to come into my life. Do you need to do that this morning? If you need to do that this morning, would you please just lift your hand right now? then I take it that we're all believers this morning. Would you be willing to say to God this morning in your life as a Christian, fill my cup, Lord. If you would, then I'm going to ask you, as we stand to sing for our song of invitation, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to come and take one of these cups at the front. So I'm going to ask our musicians to come forward, if they will, and to begin with us. Then I'm going to ask you to stand right now with me, if you will. And for those who are able, we have uh, clear plastic cups that simply say, fill my cup, Lord, on them this morning. And what I wanted you to do is to come down and take one of those cups, then go back to your seat. And you may have someone near you who cannot actually walk down the aisle, but would like you to grab one of those cups for them. Then I would ask you to do that for them. And as you come down and, and take this cup, it will be your act of faith and saying, Lord, I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want you to fill me with your Spirit as we work through this concept of fill my cup, Lord. And at the end of this service this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to take that cup and lift it toward heaven and make that your prayer in your life that God would fill your cup to overflowing. So this morning, Norma, if you and Nick would go ahead and start, this morning... If you want God to fill your life with His Holy Spirit, come get one of these cups and ask God to fill you up.
1: Like the woman at the well I was seeking, For things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well that never shall run dry, fill my cup, Lord. sure that I find in Jesus Christ my
0: take a look at that little cup it simply says fill my cup Lord and what I'd love for you to do is take this cup and put it somewhere at your house maybe somewhere near your prayer room or where you do your devotions and I would love for you to use that as a reminder each and every day that we must be filled with God's spirit each and every day so this morning our first opportunity of doing this I'd like you just close your eyes and raise this cup toward heaven And pray along with me. Dear God, I know that uh, I do those things that displease you. I know, dear Father, that there are moments when we all make those mistakes that we call sin. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, but it's sin either way. Forgive us, Father, for those things. Cleanse our hearts and lives so that we might be filled with your Spirit. Empty us of us so that we might be filled with you. And fill our cups, Lord, with Your Spirit so that day by day we might live for Jesus and that, Lord, others may see Him in us and may come to Him as their Savior. we ask it in His name. Amen.